You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 532 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowling, coming to you live on this fine Monday evening. And uh, this is actually the first of a two-part episode. It's going to be episodes 532 and 533, featuring the great Coles Wicker of the Stepien. I know a lot of Hawks fans always enjoy when Coles on the podcast, and uh, he's very positive about the Hawks' future, which you will definitely hear on this podcast. Part one, which is the podcast you're listening to right now, is going to be focused on Atlanta's young core, you know, John Collins, Trey Young, Kevin Herter. Torian Prince, etc., etc., and then part two, which will be coming actually tomorrow, so that'll be up by by Wednesday morning. We'll be covering sort of the 2019 NBA draft. Cole was one of the best people in the business at talking about the draft. He has a lot of in- interesting insight on the class that's uh, upcoming to be drafted in June. So hold on tight for that podcast. That'll be coming uh, actually later later tomorrow. So uh, stay tuned for that. But uh, this is going to be an episode focused on Atlanta's young core, and uh, here we go with Cole Zwicker. Cole, thank you for joining me, sir. What's going on? It's going, man. Just uh, in the heart of draft season here, trying to get a better idea of these prospects. Very weird in the three-day NBA hiatus here. So uh, (laughs) trying to fill the time without NBA for the next couple days. Yeah, for sure. It's actually four days for the Hawks, too, which is and actually almost basically five because they they were not involved on Sunday in the All-Star game either. So it's it's a five-day dead period for the Hawks. And I put up sort of an NBA draft viewing guide to tell people what to watch in the next four days, um, which started on Monday. So hopefully the people will uh, latch on to that. We are going to definitely talk, talk some draft on, I guess, part two of, of this episode. We're going to record it all in one fell swoop here, but for the people, that is coming. But I do want to talk to you about some Hawks stuff because uh, I think you have uh, picked up the mantle as perhaps the uh, the biggest national voice in support of the Hawks goal. Yeah, I've gotten that <laughs> title for the Suns too, so I'm sorry Beautiful. to be concerned with myself a little bit. So I'm the I'm the man of the people, and like I guess the bottom level teams that not a lot of guys watch, but I usually watch for prospects. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. And listen, the Hawks uh, have been more fun this year, no question about it. At least when compared to last year, and I think the last two for me, because two years ago they made the playoffs, but that was the Dwight Howard team, and that was not a lot of fun to consume. So I'm having more fun this year than I have in quite a while, and that's because of this, of this team's young core. So I wanted to ask you about some of these core guys. It's been a while since you've been with us. I know you're positive. People will follow you on Twitter and know that you're pretty positive about this young core. But let's let's start with Trey first because he's the biggest name of them all. Of course, uh, all the stuff over All-Star Weekend. He's been in the news quite a bit recently and uh, has been in sort of an up-and-down rookie season, but still, I think generally, at least in my opinion, better than I thought it was going to be. So what have you seen from Trey to this point in his young career? I thought he definitely got robbed in that world team versus U.S. matchup recently in the All-Star game. I thought he was actually the MVP of that game, frankly. But uh, <laughs> I think you're, I think I think you're right about that. I, I was actually kind of preparing one of our writers to like shift into an MVP, MVP post, and uh, that didn't happen. Which <laughs> it, hurt, it hurt me from, from a content perspective, but uh, I think you're right about that. Yeah, so... But the games that actually matter, uh, I've been really impressed with him. And there's a lot of overreaction, I felt like, after Summer League, where people were like, can he handle this kind of athleticism? Like, he's really struggling to create separation against Frank Nielakina, for example, in the Knicks game in Summer League. And I thought that kind of people wrote him off too quickly. And he's been exactly kind of what I expected and a little bit more. Like, he's getting to his spots a little bit better than I thought he would. He's just so good at all the little things. He has all the BS moves, like drawing fouls, like those hesitation moves, the wrong foot layups. He's got everything in his arsenal. I think you look at 
primary creators that are guards, we talked about this last time we were on the podcast, they're almost never good their rookie year. I mean, like De'Aaron Fox was really bad his rookie year. Dennis Smith, like Trey's been better than both of those guys by a legitimate amount. He's been a positive offensive player. And we're talking about a player who's not shooting that well from three yet. We, and that's mostly due to the, the month of November, of course. And we're starting to see that spike up. I just think the playmaking, the effect that's had for the Hawks has been exactly what he showed at the college level. He's a kind of a primary creator type. And he has that level of decision making, the pull up shooting, the passing, everything you look for in a primary lead guard. And there's just not that many guys like that to come around. For sure. I think offensively, as you mentioned, it, it's kind of hard to nitpick him. I know the shooting hasn't been quite as good as people would have thought. At least some people, but I know you and I were on the same page and saying that his his passing and his creation were really the number one thing for me. And even then, like you, the one bad month, the last, I think it's like 39 or 40 games, he shoot like 35% from three. And that's fine. That's kind of all he needs to do. I think there's some upside beyond that as well. But now that he's sort of stabilized a little bit with his shooting, it's been just fine, and I think that's a, it's, it's definitely a threat because he has he has long range and he opens the floor up when he has the ball in his hands. The passing is kind of what it is. I know it's kind of funny. We were on this early. I know you were and I was about how good his passing is. Now people have almost gone overboard to where I saw someone talking about how he's the best passer in the <laughs> league, and I was like, well, I wouldn't say that, but he's you know I think he's an elite passer. Is that fair to say already as an NBA player? I think he's a top ten passer in the league. Frankly, when you yeah. consider all the reads that he makes, he can literally see all. Nine other guys on the floor, defense and offense, make that cross-court skip pass. Like That recent game against LeBron was just an absolute clinic for both of those guys. Like That was a microcosm of Trey's passing. He is so good in pick and roll as far as timing, anticipation. That's something you just don't see from a lot of prospects. He has all the craft, too. can pass with either hand. Um, excellent sense of timing. Great pairing with John Collins. I think Collins has really helped him out. So, yeah, I've always said that... that Getting back to Oklahoma, I thought that it was his best skill. And for some reason, everybody focused on the pull-up shooting, of course, because you got the Steph comparisons from ESPN, and everybody thought of him like that. And that's why I think his stock dropped off down the stretch when he got cold a little bit in his college year. But the passing is the one consistent, and that's something that just a lot of league guard types don't bring. Like, if you fail as a shooter, what what is your value on the floor? And for Trey, he's still getting to the lane. That floater game has been incredible this year. I mean, he's 73rd percentile. He's taken 142 floaters, shooting 48%. Like, that's crazy. For a guy with that kind of touch, I think he's like number three in the league in volume and efficiency there. So he, he can win in other ways. And I don't think he was given enough credit for his touch around the basket and his ability to impact winning as a playmaker. For sure. I definitely agree. I was pretty skeptical um, early on about his um, non-passing traits offensively. I think the jump shot's kind of what it is. And I think I'm still buying it, even though even with the, with the slow start. But he's been much, much better than I anticipated around the rim and in that floater range, as you mentioned. So... Uh, I think all positive on that front. You know, defensively, there's the questions that are always there. And I mean, I guess I have to ask you this: How much does his defensive floor, which is kind of it's not great, um, to be kind? How much does that impact his evaluation for you now that we've seen him play for 50, 60 games? You know, he's been durable. He's been playing a lot of minutes. The defense has not been good, but we knew it wasn't going to be good. So has that changed your opinion at all of him as an overall prospect? Because that's kind of the big thing now, where. You know, there are guys who are primary initiators that have defensive trouble. I think, you know, James Harden is always the obvious um, example people use, but James Harden is a lot bigger and stronger than Trey Young, than, than Trey Young actually is. So, how much does his defensive um, profile worry you still, if at all? And how much does that impact his overall upside? 
it definitely worries me to an extent. This is the primary reason I had Luca ahead of Trey, like a tier ahead because of Luca's size. And like what you mentioned with Harden, when you're six two and you're a buck eighty, you're just not gonna be able to do that much on the floor. I don't care how good your instincts are. I think Trey's gonna get smarter. He's gonna get more of a veteran approach as he moves forward in his career. Like I think he's starting to get in the right places more and just impacting plays. He has to get in front of drivers. So if he's in the right spot and a guy from the weak side cuts, he just gets into his legs and forces that guy off balance to where, you know, John Collins somebody else can rotate over and challenge the shot that's going to be the kinds of stuff he has to do because it's not like he's going to be able to switch and then containing these guys he's have to get really good at passing guys off off the ball that's going to come more the veteran team as we move forward but there's just not a lot of guys that are six two that are good defensive players i mean we're talking about chris paul is the all-time great and he's six foot but <laughs> yeah. that never happens right like most of these guys are going to be negatives the, the question is to what degree i think this year he's like a minus four defensive defensive player per uh Defense real plus minus. I, I don't put a lot of stock into that because you know you put it, you factor in priors to that analysis. All of that. Most rookie league guards are hugely negative, like minus three guys. So with Trey, it's just over time. You're just looking for those intelligent incremental improvements on that end being in the right place you know he's got good hands he's got good anticipation so trying maybe to get some steals and then you have to get the defensive personnel around him that's something that's critical with him is Atlanta has to make sure they get you know defensive value at the five and maybe the three depending on what John Collins does in his future for sure and I think you know the numbers I don't really care about you know RPM all that fun stuff I mean they're accurate in this case and that Trey is a very bad defender right now which you know, he's a rookie point guard, especially, and it was always going to be the case. And then you throw in his yep. lack of tools, it was always going to be ugly early on. So no surprise whatsoever on the end of the floor. But it's just, where can he get to? Can he be just below average? If he's just below average, it's uh, you're, in, you're in great shape. If he's just not a disaster, that's basically what you want at this point. Like, he's never going to be good, but can he be okay? Can he be playable defensively? That's that's the big question, and that's one that we haven't answered yet. And I, I mean, I think they all know it. You know, Travis Schlenk talked about it recently on, a, on an, in an interview that he did. He talked about it on my podcast. They know what Trey is and isn't defensively. It's just getting his effort consistently. They all, they always talk about that. Lloyd Pierce does as well, and just kind of trying to drill into him that it's it's a forty eight minute job, and it's a, it's honestly it's tough for anybody because his workload is so big offensively right now, especially because he's the only primary initiator they have to where. It's a grueling job, so I'll, I'll give him a pass to a certain extent. It's just that's the big question: is like, can he just be okay defensively? Yeah, and the effort, like you said, that's probably the biggest thing. Is that has to be there? The intelligence and the effort; those are the two components he has to bring because he lacks the physical prowess to compensate for that. So this is always going to be the case. It's an adjustment period, but again, you have to look at the the positives. This is what people do in the draft: is they fixate too much on the negatives with the prospect, and those are important to, to factor into the calculus. But Trey has elite offensive upside. We're talking about like a top five caliber of offensive player in the league in my opinion if everything goes right for him so that's what you have to keep in mind is that's the upside we're dealing with yeah for sure and that, that was the appeal uh, in the draft obviously if you especially if you make shots like he's gonna have to shoot really yes. well um <laughs> to reach that ceiling but at the same time we've already seen it now as you mentioned at the very top of this he's already a plus offensive player with the numbers and all that fun stuff so it's very it's going very well for trey i don't want to spend too much time on him but uh because we always talk about trey but i want to let you cook a little bit on trey because it's it's fun he's uh <laughs> i think it's uh it's tough for me sometimes to get outside of um what i'm watching in the present having just grinding through a season and just kind of step back and be like yeah he's been really good on offense so um there's one thing i do want to sort of shift to kevin herter who you were in on early and i was uh somewhat skeptical i didn't hate that pick at all but i thought it was i thought it was okay but i wasn't like overjoyed by it and you were uh, definitely you were preaching to me before the draft during the draft process that that was going to be a good pick and uh, you're, you're looking pretty smart I think 
<laughs> yeah, he was kind of a late bloomer for us last year. We kind of got to his tape a little bit late around April, May. And then we were like, okay, this guy has some real NBA skills. We talked about that with the off-movement shooting. And I think for me, the thing that's popped the most is the guy's just really smart. He's super cerebral. So he's like kind of a secondary creator, potentially. Like the athleticism is a big concern as far as his ability to create separation. He has like these wonky strides that he uses. He's just kind of like Ginger Gumby out there. I, I don't know how I'm not a body mechanics expert, <laughs> but just the way he moves is just very weird. He obviously doesn't have great bursts, but he, like he gets to his spots. He has great size at six seven. He's got good touch on like runners and stuff in time. I think that'll be there. But just I think this the passing. Like he can come off a dribble handoff. He can come off a curl and hit that over the top pass. He can make skip passes. I, I think you see some of the vision and some of these pick and roll plays where Trey will come off like a double high pick and roll, skip it to Herder, who will skip it to somebody else in the corner. Like not a lot of teams can work both sides of the court like that. So I, I love that from Kevin. I think that over time you're going to see. I mean, the three-point shot's good. Like, in, he's going to shoot. I'm, like, 99% sure he's going to be a plus shooter, like a very, like, maybe sub-elite. Maybe not Clay Thompson shooter, of course, but very, very good shooter. So I think it was a great pick at 19. I thought in this class, for context, I think he'd be an easy top 10 pick in 2019. So I thought the value was there. It was a great selection. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, again, I, I had him somewhere around 1920s. I think I was a little bit too low. And I think right now, if you redrafted the 2018 class, he'd probably go in the lottery. Um, so it's, uh, I think you're, I think you're spot on there. He cooled off a little bit um, right before the All Star break, which is to be expected. Like, I think rookie wall stuff is probably in play for Kevin Herter. But even with all, even with a couple of rough nights before the break, he's shooting 39 percent from three. That's that feels that feels sustainable. It doesn't feel weird to me. Like his shooting is not really up for debate. I, I think you're right that I'm not sure he's going to be like an absolutely elite shooter, but he has that ability potentially to be that kind of big time shooter. Um, and you know, off the ball, he knows what he's doing on offense. I think defensively, he's had some nice moments. I think he actually was a little bit better than I expected early on. He's kind of cooled off at times and had some ugly moments, but he's someone who I Agreed. thought was going to be bad defensively, and I think he's not been as bad as I thought he was going to be. Do you think he can be average? Because that's kind of all he needs to be too. It's like I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be too like, specific, like I guess general. But I think if he's just an, an okay defender, you're in good shape. And I think he has the tools to do that, even without like the plus length and the plus strength. That was always the idea with him is like he can get to league average or slightly positive, and that's a really, really valuable player. I think the difference between him and Landry Shamet, I, mean, I think if the Sixers drafted Sh or Herder instead of Shamet, I don't think Herder's on a different team right now. I think there's a difference between playoff players and regular season players, and Herder, I think, can hold up in the playoffs. I think he's big enough. He's got good enough instincts. He's going to add some strength over time, so that's going to help him a lot. He's never going to have that incredible length, of course, but he knows where to be. I was impressed with him. I think I agree with you. I liked him more in the beginning of the season, or I think I remember a Pacers game where he was just covering up guys' mistakes, and you just don't see that a lot from rookies. So, again, I just buy the intelligence with him. I think that smart guys, they're going to improve because they know where to be off the ball positioning-wise. We'll see how good he is on the ball. I mean, he can track some of the shooters around screens and trail and stuff like that, so there is some versatility to him, but he's never going to be a stopper. I think the, when we're talking about the, the Hawks roster, they have to look – I mean, and Bembry's been this guy for them – is is the guy who they put on like elite wing scores to like frustrate. They're going to need somebody like that long-term because I don't think Herter's going to be that kind of guy. For sure. Like he's never going to be the primary defensive guy on the wing and he doesn't need to be when you have his offensive profile. It's okay to not be great defensively. Um, he has to get stronger. I think everyone knows that, including him. That's the one thing that's like very noticeable. Aside from, I mean, I, I mean the lack of length is relative because it's not like because he is he is a legit six seven. You know, not having a plus wingspan isn't great, but he's not like incredibly not length. Like, I guess he's not, he's yeah. not incredibly short necessarily. But the the strength, the lack of strength, is just pretty apparent sometimes where he just gets blown off the ball and. 
you know, you could see it in his body. You mentioned his body and the way he moves, but just the lack of physical bulk there. He's never going to be the biggest guy in the world, but he's, he needs he probably needs to add 20 pounds uh, of just muscle and NBA and just NBA caliber, you know, physicality training and all that fun stuff. I think they all know that, but we'll see how he looks like. We'll see how he looks in, in year two when he has a full summer. Cause that was the other thing about this summer is that he lost part of the summer. Like he was able to do conditioning, but with, with a hand, with, with a hand wrist kind of thing that he had, it wasn't like he could go out and do like a lot of weightlifting. Like he couldn't really get um, physically stronger in the same way that a lot of guys could. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he looks like after a full NBA training summer, which he didn't really have. Yeah, 100%. And that's that's the key with a lot of these prospects is they're going to get stronger in the league. It's just can it be difference making strength? And I think that Herder has enough in his game where you don't have to rely too much on that. Like he's still going to be an effective player regardless of what he does. But to optimize him, of course, that happens. Just a couple more notes on him that I like. I mean, he can shoot threes off the dribble. That's something that not a lot of secondary creators can do and also pass. So he, he's kind of that dribble pass shoot archetype that we look for on the wing in the modern game. Travis Schlenk loves pick. that archetype. I'll tell you that right now. Travis Schlenk is a big is a, is a big dribble pass and shoot guy. He'll tell you. He'll tell so, you that. So am I. That's why I love Travis <laughs> Schlenk. <laughs> but uh, can shoot threes off the dribble, can run a pick and roll. I mean, he's ran 116 pick and rolls this year, has finished at least. This doesn't include passes, which is pretty impressive stuff. And that backs it up on film. Like he can function in those settings, which I do think adds incremental value so Trey doesn't have to do absolutely everything all the time both those guys can play on or off the ball it's going to come down to fit long term but I think those two pieces they fit really well together and I like the vision there yeah offensively there's no question those guys make a lot of sense together you know defensively we'll talk more about that when we, when we get to the draft <laughs> part of this podcast but uh that's going to be a problem if they don't find a uh, potentially high-end defender somewhere on, somewhere on the perimeter they're gonna have to add that guy somewhere along the way um okay before I continue this line of questioning I have to ask you this is something that's been I, I'm not sure if it's a debate but I've been referring and I know Jeff Siegel has a couple of us have been referring to the to the Hawks core right now as Trey Young Kevin Herter and John Collins would you add anyone to that core if I said pick pick out the Hawks core? Is that is are those the three guys, or would you add someone like Torian Prince or or Marius Bowman? No, those are the three guys for me. That pretty okay. succinct I, answer. I, I, I wanted to leave that there. I thought I thought I thought you were going to agree with me, but and that's where we are. But okay, so real quickly, I'm going to ask you about the three guys who are not in the core that are young pieces on this team. That's Torian Prince, DeAndre Bembry, and Amari Spellman. I think Prince is obviously the best player of his three at, at the moment. Um, Prince is interesting though, in that the Hawks were pretty clearly marketing him in trade. You know how much they were marketing him in trade is kind of up for debate, but they were willing to move him probably. And I think obviously he was not drafted by this regime, et cetera, et cetera. His defense has been a problem over the last two seasons. But um, do you think, what, first of all, what, what kind of player is Torian Prince right now? And at his age, contract status, et cetera, what kind of asset is he as well? Well, I think he's kind of, in many ways, the opposite of what he's described as by a lot of national media. <laughs> so true. Like, people think that this guy's like this dynamite 3 and D player, and it's like, he has shot well from three this year, but to me, he's more of a shot maker. Like, Atlanta needs him to make shots sometimes, like off the dribble even, too, but the defense hasn't been there, and I think that's why you're seeing his name in trade discussions, is because they're thinking, okay, this is our core, the guys that we just discussed, and how does he fit into this calculus? He's not good enough defensively right now. He's just not. So I think that's where it comes down to, is I do think that Torian Prince can maybe help a playoff team in a rotation I think he can make some shots. I struggle on if I would ever trust him in a high leverage situation with some of the stuff I've seen. Misses some passes on offense. I just don't think he's a high level thinker on the floor. I haven't watched as much Torian Prince as obviously a lot of this podcast, but that's just my general conception of him. Solid player, but I'm not sure if he fits with what the Hawks are trying to build. Yeah, and you know, I guess this is not his fault, but I don't think that pairing him with Young and Herder makes that much sense because yes. – of his defense. Like if he was the player that he was supposed to be and that I thought he was going to be coming out of the draft. And by the way, 
I was wrong on his offense. He's already better on offense than I thought he was going to be. You know, without, without, I, I agree with you that the passing and stuff is frustrating. His recognition is not always there, but his shooting is way ahead of where it's supposed to be. You know, the last two years, thirty eight percent from three, and that feels that feels real. Like he is a legitimately good shooter, yep. but the defense is so frustrating, and they just can't afford to have that when you're when your backcourt of the future, quote unquote, is Trey Young and Kevin Herter. You just got to have somebody that's going to defend all the time. And he just doesn't do that. Plus, he's older than you think. I I, I know you know this, but he, he'll be he'll be twenty five in March, and that isn't old, but it's not young. Like it's the situation where <laughs> like, he, it's it's it's, he's, it's only his third year in the league. So people think you know third year twenty sixteen draft class he must be young. Like nope, he was a pretty old draft dra- draftee. <laughs> so twenty five by the end of your third season. There's room for him to improve, no question. I'm not trying to bury Torian Prince, and I think um, I'm not sure he loves the way that I've covered him. <laughs> and from what I heard, I don't, I don't think he's a big fan of my of my thought process on Torian. But I do think that he just fits better elsewhere, and that's not necessarily his fault, other than the defensive stuff. But just team building wise, it made sense that the Hawks would look to make him available. It wouldn't surprise me if they traded him this offseason because you know, as you mentioned, he, he could help. He could he could he could help a lot of teams. Like his four spacing at his size, if he could just defend more. He doesn't have to be great defensively, but he, he's got to be okay. And right now he's not been okay for two years. That's a problem. Yeah, exactly. And there's going to be better fits for him. And it, it doesn't have, have to be insulting towards him. It's just that's no. who he is as a player right now. He can definitely help somebody in a rotation. It's just when you're looking at the Hawks' view and like how they're trying to build this team, he just doesn't make a lot of sense here. Like I thought, I thought he would have been good in Philly. There was there were, there were some rumors that Philly was interested in him before the Tobias Harris trade. I think he would have been good there as at like a fourth, fifth piece. Maybe he would have defended a little bit more on a playoff bound team, um, especially when you put him in between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. <laughs> that would be helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that there are places that my he, he would fit better. And um, I'm not saying hopefully he gets there, but I, I, I'm not. I, I was predicting I would not expect him to be uh, a member of the Hawks in two years. But and that's why he's not in the mix in terms of, of the core for me. But uh, the other two guys I want to ask you about are Bembry and Spellman. Bembry, there was a moment or two in the offseason where we weren't sure if he was, was going to have his uh, option picked up, and he's come a long way from there. He's been in rotation all season long, but. But he's someone I've always liked, but what do you see from him as a future piece, knowing that he's also a little bit older and the offensive side is just kind of maddening sometimes? He's the damn Tasmanian devil out there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy to watch him just because I watched him a lot in college, and he's gone from like this – I thought he was a pretty damn good decision maker in college. That's why I liked him because he was really intelligent. He made a lot of nice reads, and now he's just a bundle of energy. He goes on the floor and just defends guys, and he does a bunch of wild stuff, and the Hawks need it at times. They need his energy. Like when he comes off the bench at times and he gives them that you know shot in the arm, that's, that's big for them, and he's also defending these – primary wing scorers at times and making it hard for him. He's utilizing his athleticism a lot. It's kind of the similar role that Josh Jackson plays for the Phoenix Suns, which is kind of crazy, but just a, a nice little parallel there. But long-term building-wise, I mean, the three-point shooting has, has never gotten there consistently, and that's the big thing. The intersection of that and his decision-making being a little bit wild, plus the defense. I do believe in the defense, but I think ideally you want a little bit of a bigger player next to Herter and Trey Young. So he's another one of these guys where if if, actually, if Atlanta could sign him long term and it was a reasonable deal, I wouldn't mind that off the bench again because I feel like he does bring ingredients to a team and he can defend in the playoffs. I feel like, but I don't think he's a. He's, the reason I don't have him in the core list because I don't think he's a priority necessarily. But I do like him. Yeah, I still like him too. I've always I've always liked DeAndre's game, and I agree with you. His decision making has not been as good as I thought it was going to be. At the NBA level, it's been better this year uh, versus last year in a pretty small sample. Like his numbers are better almost across the board, but he just never made, he's never made enough shots. You know, he's he's willing to shoot them now. Um, in fact, although he's been shooting he's been shooting the ball a lot less recently, which is good and bad. And that he was a bad shooter early in the year, but at least he was taking them. And now he's not taking them. It's kind of hurting spacing a little bit. Defensively, he's been 
honestly pretty pretty awesome. Um, I think better yeah. better, better than I envisioned him being. But at a, at a certain point, you just got to be more than he is on offense to be a fully ingrained rotation player. I think he's an NBA player, which that was up for debate a year ago. I always thought that he was, but because he just couldn't stay healthy for in his first two seasons and didn't show that much, there was a chance he was he was just going to be off the roster. I think now he's an NBA player. It's just kind of where he lands, and he's probably more of like a fifth wing right now, whereas on the Hawks, he's third or fourth, depending on the night. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. I wanted to ask you about him since I know we kind of mutually like him. It's just... um. You know, he's a former first-round pick, so he, he always has a longer leash, I think, than most guys would um, with similar backgrounds, but it's just one of those things. Offensively, he's going he's to have to get better. Um, last, last guy I wanted to get to before we get to John Collins, <laughs> we'll, we'll sort of finish with John, is Amari Spellman. Um, I will say, as someone who hated that draft pick, and I said as much uh, on this podcast and other places, he's been better than I thought he was going to be. That, that doesn't mean he's, that he's been necessarily good, but he's been better as a rookie than I envisioned him being. He plays hard, all that fun stuff. But um, A, I think we talked about uh, about this at the time, but A, what did you think of that draft pick? And B, um, what have you seen from him so far this year? Admittedly, and I think a little bit smaller sample than most of these guys because he wasn't playing all that much for a while. Yeah, he, I don't have the most data points on just because I haven't watched a ton of the Hawks when he's been in the lineup. He's been in and out, and I've seen like his space defense leaves a little bit to be desired right now. People have talked about the weight. I think that's going to be an issue moving forward. Is getting him. He did, he did too, the right- by the way. Like you know, today. to his, to his credit. Uh, I believe it was an interview with The Athletic, I want to say it was, Chris Kirchner. Uh, he copped okay. to putting on, uh, I think the number was kind of, a, it was kind of, it was like 290-something when he came back from his injury. Um, he put on like 30 pounds. And I think he's slimmed down a little bit from, from there, but he he's aware of the weight issue, but it's not gone away. Like, you can, t- you can look at him and know that it's not gone away yet. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> for me, it was that, that kind of works in concert with my issues with him always which were space defense is he going to be able to play in the playoffs and be able to you know defend pick and roll maybe switch a little bit so th- those are my concern areas but obviously why they drafted him is because of the shooting and he has underrated ability to attack closeouts i think when you see him at his best physical form like he's actually faster than you'd think in straight lines and he has more coordination with the ball but predominantly it's pick and pop spacing the floor from the corners i don't know i don't have this information in front of me i'm curious in how he's shooting above the break this year because that's something i noticed in summer league is he didn't seem to be nearly as comfortable there from distance if he's knocking down that shot though i think he can be like a third big a capable guy my biggest issue with the pick wasn't really him it was who was still on the board like a mitchell robinson i just think is a much better prospect and i think that d'anthony melton's a much better prospect but i I get the vision again by schlink here in going basically all in on shooting it at least follows a vision so it's consistent yeah, he definitely fits the Travis Slate mole, which in retrospect, I probably should have seen that coming. I didn't see Spellman <laughs> as a target at 30, but now that um, you know you see all the pieces come together, you would know that um, this definitely, he definitely fits the uh, the Travis Slate mold. The shooting is come and gone. It's been hot and cold. He's had some really good games, some really passive games. I think the shooting is part of the reason why they drafted him. As you, may, I, I agree with you totally on his ability to attack closeouts. They like him with the ball in his hands. I think probably more than I'd like them with the ball in his hands, but he's he's okay. He's he's a pretty skilled guy. He has a pretty good basketball IQ. You can sort of see that. Um, defensively has always been my problem. I think people are still doing this, but even more so in the draft process, there was the equating of his high motor and the fact that he plays really hard with being a good defender, and he's not a good defender right now. Um, yeah. So, but people love. I mean, and I understand why because he's he's fun because he looks like he's playing hard because he is like his motor. He's really competitive. He's a fiery guy. It's easy to root for him, but that does not mean he's good on defense. And that's kind of the, that's always the disconnect that a lot of fans have is guy that plays hard 
can still be bad on defense. <laughs> um, and I think he is that <laughs> right right now. I think it's not impossible that he does that he fixes that in the future. He's sort of a tweener in the fact that you know he's playing almost exclusively the four this year because the Hawks have these two centers in Debman and Len plus Collins. So Spellman's like the backup four, but it, almost like a hybrid backup. They have him and Carter in this combination role at the backup four spot. So it's sort of a weird yep. role for Morris Spellman. But at the same time, he's gonna have to lose weight. It's not even just like a he knows that he said it on the record, so I'm not I'm not speaking out of school here, but it's not just the weight, it's the fact that he's gonna have to be a lot quicker. And that that comes with losing the weight. Because if he, if he's playing in space, as you mentioned, it's rough if he's gonna be um that slow as 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 much as he's looked in college and parts of his rookie year. Because if he's if he's not a center and they're not playing him at center, he's gotta play the four and it's really tough to see how that works defensively. Yeah, I totally agree. And when I analyze big prospects, I'm always looking at um, defense first for the most part, unless you're like a special offensive player. So that's kind of where oh, I had some. That that brings us to a bridge to John Collins, who's coming next. And that's the big I know, question with John I know. Collins. <laughs> uh, let's just get there now. I, I will say I'm not uh, th- this piece is not run yet, but I know a good friend of the program, Jeff Siegel, just wrote a very lengthy John Collins defensive post that's going to go up on PeachtreeHoops.com this week. It's not super kind to John's defense. And I think he's right. Uh, John is not good on defense right now. So we're going to save the, the positivity for the end here on, on his offense where he's been really, really good this year and talk about his defense first because it still worries me. Now, he's been so good on offense that it's less of a problem, but team-building-wise, playoff-wise, big picture, you know, title contention-wise down the line, ooh, it's tough to build a defense with John Collins. Um, that's that's all I'll say about that. What, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what, what have you seen with his defense uh, so far this year and I guess his rookie year as well? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is the team building part is where this all factors in. And this is why when we talk about the core of the Hawks, Collins is three for me. And I know that's a <laughs> unconventional take, but it's definitely Trey one. And for me, Herder's two and Collins is three. As far as building a winning team, I just think that Herder's defense is easier to build around than Collins's is unless he really improves. And obviously the offense with Collins is fantastic. We'll get to that. But defensively, I think the lack of length just really hurts him. And, and I know it's been tweeted a thousand times this year about his lack of stocks steals and blocks this year and stuff like that and like the the draughts there and stuff like that but you'll see him rotate sometimes and he won't be able to get to balls and that's something that i've noticed with some kind of prospects even ones with far higher anticipation levels than collins does they still can't get to that and i think collins suffers a little bit of both i don't see elite level anticipation from him off the ball and on the ball i mean he can move in space i thought i watched the game against the suns for example and he was getting destroyed on closeouts by wings i think he can improve there as far as his technique because he's nimble enough he's agile enough to win in those settings he has to be a space defender because i feel like in the post and as a rim protector sometimes he's going to get exploded over the top of i don't see quite the level of help defensive instincts that i'd like to see from him yeah that's been my big thing um you know his his motor is not in question john plays very hard he's a great athlete yes um he's not long though so I've been preaching forever that I think he's a center. The Hawks don't seem to agree, and I understand why because he isn't a prototypical defensive center because he's you know he's six ten with average length and not that much you know. Phys- I mean he's he's a great athlete and he's a strong guy, but not a ridiculously you know I don't know bowling ball kind of guy at the rim. So it's not a situation where he's devoid of talent defensively, but. They're playing with the four almost full time, and I just don't see. It's not necessarily a situation where you know if he if he had come along 15 years ago and was playing the four, no one would bat an eye because the four was that kind of position where you had the six ten, really good athlete finisher type at the four. But now most teams are playing small, and he isn't going to have a lot of success defensively against against uh, you know against 
I guess, four sized players in quotations um, in today's NBA. So it's kind of what you want to build your team around. You kind of need a perfect complement with him. It's been a talking point of mine and a lot of people's all season long is who's the long term great, you know, center center to, to pair with John Collins, whether, whether in the draft or somewhere else. You know, Devin's done a, done a good job next to Collins this year because Devin can space the floor offensively. He's a pretty good um, guy in space defensively at times, but that's not a long-term solution. Devin's an older guy, and I think it's not, like, you know, ultimate ceiling-wise, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So, it's for me, the simplest way for me to put this is it can be simultaneously true that John Collins is a really, really good, fun player that's very productive and very talented, but also tough to build around, and those things, I think, are both true. Absolutely, and that guy you're looking for plays in Memphis, but you're not going to be able to get him. <laughs> yeah, he's the uh, he is the most. By the way, that's Jaron Jackson. For those of you who might have missed that, um, it's very very um, difficult. I think he's he's probably the number number one name that people mention, and I definitely agree with that. But how many of those guys are around? Not that many. Not many. Um, and by the way, Jaron's got to start rebounding, man. I know, I know, I know. Yes, we like, I know we like him. But he's he's not rebounding at all. It's like bothering. It, that's me. always been a problem with him. That's what Collins could help him out though, because Collins has got that like. Incredible double bounce. Let's talk about his offense real quick, though, because yeah, his offense. No, we, been... we definitely want to get there because that's 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 the positive thing to end on because he's been so good on offense. <laughs> yeah, I mean him as a role man, he's just incredible. His body control in air, the leaping prowess he has as like a double leaper. I mean his second jump is fantastic. He just makes athletic plays that are honestly only a handful of bigs in the league can make. He's kind of like people compare him to Marvin Bagley. I think at times he's even bouncier at, at certain times. It looks like he maybe looks like he's trying harder. I don't know. They're very similar kind of players to me. So it's just kind of fun to watch him on that end when he's the dive man and watching teams try to guard him with that, this new three-point shooting has been kind of fascinating. You see it in like the Bulls game. I think they started out playing Lopez on him because they were like, okay, they're going to put John in pick and roll, yeah. so we want to keep Lopez close to the basket. So Collins is just like flaring out for threes and getting wide open shots. So it's been kind of a fun dynamic this year just because the Hawks are trying to play as many floor spacers as possible on the floor. So, I mean, it's benefiting Collins. He's going to get these looks against these less mobile bigs. So I think he's getting a lot back on offense that he's giving up on defense, and he's one of the only – I think Biggs that can do that just because he's such a dual threat and pick and roll can pick and pop can pick and dive. His passing, I think, is improved. That's what's impressed me the most is like as a prospect general, like we've talked about this in the past after Wake Forest. I didn't think he could pass in college. I never saw it. And then immediately in the pros, he started passing. He's like, okay, so he makes some reads. It's kind of interesting. But I, I just think as a play finisher type and a floor spacer, he's, he's pretty good. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, the, the numbers, just so we say them out loud. 19 points, uh, 9.5 rebounds per game and 29.7 minutes. That's uh, incredibly productive to go along with 57% from the floor and 36% from three. I'm still skeptical about the percentage from three, but it looks good, man. I mean, his his jump shot looks a lot better than I thought it was going to look. It looks like someone who should be shooting threes. And, you know, his his efficiency numbers are great as a, as a result of that. You know, rebounding-wise... I think um, his rebounding on offense on the offensive end has been really impressive. Defensively, I think he can still stand to improve as a defensive rebounder. He has better tools than what he's shown this year at times, but we're nitpicking yep. there. I think offensively, he's been a revelation this year. He's been the best player on the team in terms of just present-day value. Um, it's not necessarily the highest praise in the world on this Hawks team, but he's been the best, the best player on the roster this year, which I wasn't expecting. You know, and So he's been really good. He's um, And by the way, this is someone... I mean, I didn't kill that pick by any means. I thought it was an okay pick, but another guy who looks like a huge draft day hit from for Travis Schlenk. Even if you have the reservations that I do about his defense, Collins at number 19 is a great pick. 
Oh, absolutely. For his production alone and also for trade value, I think if they were to offer Collins, they would get something really good in return for him because he's been so productive. It's impossible to argue against these numbers, like the points and rebounds. People tweet him out all the time, and it's like, what do you really say to that? Yeah, you know I, mean, I, I, mean? Like I totally that- agree. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I've been, uh, I, got, I, got, I got kind of painted as a, as a Collins skeptic, which I guess is fair. I'm, you know, not covering it from a pure fan perspective. I'm trying to be as as, as objective as possible, and I want to point out the defense because, you know, fans just want to point to 19 and 10, which I totally understand. That's imp- that's incredibly impressive. So what I was going to say is you can't argue against that. Like, he's been so good production-wise and offensively that I don't, I don't want to get in trouble and kind of just harp on the wrong things. And I'm sure Jeff Siegel and I are prepared for the, for the wrath of the fan base when we post this defensive article that it kind of kills him on his defense. But both can be true. That's kind of again where we were, where we are on this thing is that you can be really good on offense and not be really good on defense. It's you're allowed to do both. It's it's just it's one of those things. And you can also be a really good player, but not a really good player on a championship level team. And if that's that the is goal, the case, yep. So yeah, I mean that happens all the time. That's most players in the league. I mean a lot of players aren't good, but when you get to the good players, a lot of those players don't fit on winning teams either. So that's kind of the case with him. It's like he's fantastic at what he does well. This is like the Marvin Bagley argument all over again. Like he's really good at what he does well, but the deficiencies. We'll see if he can get there. And of course, Collins is more advanced as a three-point shooter this year. So don't quote me on the direct comparison between those two. But I'm a fan of Collins. I I like the energy level he plays with. That's something that I've noticed with him is like the motor's always there, like you said. And those players that play hard and have that kind of athleticism, they're always going to be players. Like even if Collins is a third big eventually on a championship level team. He's going to give you something. Yeah, that's uh, it's gotten uh, myself. I know Robbie Callen, Jeff. We've all gotten in trouble with the fan base for saying that he may not be a starter, and people like people freak out. It's like, look, he's averaging twenty <laughs> and ten. And I'm like, so I gave up on that. I've stopped saying that out loud just because I understand what people, why people's reaction to that is so visceral. Um, but I think you know, team building wise, it's tough. But at the same time, he's been so much fun and so productive and so good offensively that you kind of just got to let him cook at this point because uh, he's been overachieving in a big way. He's been awesome. So. Oh, and by and, the way, he, he's, I will yeah, say he, really quick. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the shooting is something that really helps with this. I mean, Huge. if you couldn't shoot and you couldn't space the floor on offense, then we'd have much bigger issues. But at least offensively now, there's a clear role for him. Yeah, I said the same thing. That was one thing that I had. It was basically in order for him to be a starter full stop, he had to either shoot or defend better, preferably both. But given the fact that he's shooting now, his offense is like, you know, unstoppable is probably too much of a word. But if he's really going to be a mid to high 33 point shooter, He's going to he's going to be a 2010 guy for a long time, like and you just Agreed. can't ignore that. <laughs> so, um, okay, that's probably enough. Unless you have more takes on someone that I've not mentioned, but I think you know in terms of the re- the rest of the roster is, you know, veterans and there's some quality guys on the roster. You know, I I I've definitely always pro Kent Bazemore and Dwayne Dedman and Alex Lynn. I think it's been pretty decent this year. But unless you have a, a take that you want to share with the people on the Hawks, we can sort of move on to the draft. But I wanted to open up the floor well, with you if you have more takes. Well, Tyler Dorsey's not on the roster anymore, oh, so I can't yes, really chime R. in. Oh, <laughs> yes, uh, And I, I hope Tyler – listen, I like Tyler. I hope he sticks in Memphis yes. and does things. Um, we've been skeptical. I know that's been out there in the public. But I think um, they, they did right by him. I'm not you – know, there was really no argument for the Hawks making that trade other than to help Tyler Dorsey. They took on a little bit more money and, and then cut Sheldon Mack. So that was clearly a favor to Tyler, and I hope it works out for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just making a joke about some <laughs> yes. online interactions I've had in the past. But yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Best of, best of luck to him. For sure. All right. We're going to wrap this. Into, well, we're going to stay on the line because Cole and I are going to keep talking. But we're going to wrap this here for part one. Please stay tuned. Part two is coming tomorrow. Subscribe to the podcast, all that fun stuff. We'll come back with Cole on the next pod.